listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing Black Sabbath's 16th studio album, Dehumanizer. Released on June 22nd, 1992, the album would feature the return of the classic Mob Rules era lineup of Tony, Geezer, Ronnie, and Vinny. The process of making the album was not the easiest, though, taking an exorbitant amount of time and money to finish. Cozy Powell was the drummer during the early rehearsal phases, but a broken hip took him out of the picture and brought Vinny Apice back in. Even Ronnie himself was briefly replaced by returning Tony Martin, who had never even realized he was fired from the band in the first place. All the confusion aside, the end result was one of Sabbath's heavier albums, with songs like Computer God, I, Master of Insanity, and TV Crimes, amongst others, bringing back the classic Sabbath sound, but with a bit more of a modern 90s touch. Even though grunge had just exploded and many of the 70s, 80s metal bands were on their way down, the album did well on the charts, reaching number 28 in the UK and 44 in the States. The band would tour extensively with a set list heavy on classic Dio-era songs, with many from the new album but on tours where things would go off the rails, resulting in this lineup disbanding once again. Asked to play on the final two shows of what at the time was being dubbed as Ozzy's Farewell Tour, the Ronnie-fronted Sabbath was scheduled to play an opening set, and then at the end of Ozzy's solo set, Tony, Geezer, and Bill would join him for a few Sabbath numbers. Dio, without hesitation, flatly refused to be the opening act for Ozzy, sensing that a classic Ozzy era reunion was the inevitable outcome anyways. He gave his resignation or was fired, depending on who you believe. Black Sabbath would carry on with Rob Halford on vocals for Ozzy's final two shows in Costa Mesa, California. All right, Darren Dehumanizer, what are your early memories of this one and your thoughts on it? Um. Summer of 1992, I, I remember it well. Um, we're still pre-internet, so I, I hadn't heard anything about the album coming out. I don't even think I was aware that Dio and, and Vinny were, were back in the band. I, I, all I know is I went to the record store before I was getting ready to take a road trip and um, wanted to buy some music to listen to on the way. And I, I saw Dehumanizer, and I black sabbath and i saw the cover and the cover looked kind of cheesy but you know, it said black sabbath and had the title of the album and uh uh it was uh vinyl was pretty much based out at this point so i think i saw the cd but i bought the cassette to listen to in the car um i was excited about it but when i put it in i was just i was blown away i, I loved it i loved it then i love it now i have loved it Along the way, it's an album that I I revisit pretty frequently. I I think it's I think it's an amazing album. Um, there was a lot of background, and and maybe we'll get into that. Um, we we could probably spend three hours talking about all the ups and downs and and all the things that were going on with the band at this time. But um, Along the way, I mean, I don't think I've ever lost any of the enthusiasm and excitement 
for this album. Uh, and I, I occasionally I'll see people saying for one reason or another why they don't like it. And it, it always kind of confuses me. I'm like, well, I, I can see that. And, and it's, it's, it's by some people that might make the remark that they they like heaven and hell and they like mob rules but they don't like to humanize her and, and i think it's like a trifecta really i mean there's a 10-year gap in between where there were some other things going on that were <clears throat> taking place with tony iomi and various members here and there but uh from 1982 to 1992 you know with the 10 years that transpired in between i i think it was a i think it was a logical it's a satisfying follow-up for me for mob rules. I you could nitpick the production. There there's certain things about the production, but I mean that like I said, I mean it's really it's really getting nitpicky. I, I think it's a great record. I think the material is really good. Um as we go song to song, I'll point out some things that that I've thought about when I'm getting really analytical about it, but I don't I don't get very analytical about it when I'm listening to it very often, if at all, I just enjoy it. It's an album that I really enjoy. I think Dio sounds great. And I think it's really the last, what I would consider to be the last true Black Sabbath album. I, I think that there, it sounds inspired. Um, I think there's some great, I think everything that I love about Black Sabbath is present on this record. And um, and for me, it, it's the last legitimate, proper Black Sabbath record, even though it isn't, you know, you could say, well, the first eight albums really are are the, the quintessential Black Sabbath. And that comes down to a matter of opinion. But I, I accept the I accept the Dio era as every bit as valid as as the Ozzy era. Um, sometimes I don't always qualify. I mean, everything's Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath because it's Black Sabbath, but I sometimes have a little bit of a hard time qualifying you know, some of the some of the albums in between the Ozzy and the Dio eras as as, as really valid. I mean, they're, they they are technically, but are they really? For me, there's no question that that Dio is a valid. The Dio era is a valid uh, era of of Black Sabbath, and I think the Humanizer really really fits in with that and is one of the reasons why I consider the Dio era pretty important and, and definitely a valid valid era of Black Sabbath. I love the record. Um, I was looking forward to talking about it. There's, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. And I, as we go from song to song, I don't think there's going to be a single song that I'm not going to be enthusiastic about. Um, I don't know about you. But, uh, I, I Again, I, I love this record. I think the riffs are great. I think the playing is great. I think Dio sounds great. I, it's probably the last album, arguably, that he sounds like the Dio that we all know and love. I mean, as time went on after this, maybe, you know, after the next couple of solo albums, I think his voice started to diminish. And people like to say that that's not people will defend his voice and say that it always sounded great up until the very end, but I, I disagree. But on this album, he sounds fantastic. I, I think everything, everything's firing on all cylinders. And um, 
can I say? What more can I say? I love it. To humanize her. It's great. I don't remember when. Uh, yeah, like you, I, I I don't remember being aware that Ronnie was coming back to the band. And this was a phase in my life where I was still in college at this point. I've mentioned this before that I had sort of drifted away from metal. It, it's kind of hard to imagine this in our day and age now with social media and the internet and everything. But back then I didn't have a television. I didn't this was before cell phones. This was before the internet. So it was kind of easy to not know what was going on <laughs> unless you yep. were really actively searching it out. And at that point in time, I, I wasn't, I mean, things were just kind of landing in my lap. I mentioned tear, uh, my girlfriend now wife worked at the college radio station and somebody there gave me that same thing with bill wards uh, ward one along the way somebody said hey here's this new new album so i i can't remember exactly how i heard of it or where where i heard of it i don't think i got it like immediately when it came out i think i got it maybe you know let's say within 6 months of it coming out or something like that that's kind of the way it was back then. You just sort of walked into a record store yep. and you were like, hey, there's a new Black Sabbath album. And back then when bands were releasing albums every year, or every other year at the most. Uh, I remember uh, I remember really liking it. I heard it. It seemed like, you know, 90, 92 grunge is sort of starting to explode uh, there's a there's a change of guard uh, going on, and I just remember being taken aback by how heavy it was, and uh, and e even to this day, getting ready for for the podcast, I sat down in my room, I I put the original vinyl on, and just sat back and listened to it from top to bottom, and and it really reminded me of how heavy this record is. And even though I liked Tear and I liked Headless Cross, and we discussed this on the, especially on the Tear podcast, so people can go back and re-listen to that if they want for us going in depth on this. But I mentioned that Tear, it didn't have, for me with Black Sabbath, I need to have darkness and I need to have this ominous feeling. I need to have these crushing riffs. I need to have... That's I need to have a certain quotient of that in my Black Sabbath. And people say, hey, well, what about changes on volume four? Well, there's so much other heavy stuff on volume four that changes fits and it works. Okay. But when it came to Tear and Headless Cross, it just felt a little off to me, especially on Tear, even though I liked Tear. So when I got this, this really it hit me where I want Black Sabbath to hit me with those heavy riffs. The album itself is the production on it, which was produced by Mac. He goes by the name Mac, who had worked with Queen uh, and other various artists. The production to me is very kind of cold and clammy in a good way. It's not very bright. It's it's a little dark. It's slightly muddy on the bottom end. The drums are a little bit kind of a little harsh sounding, but it works. It has this kind of and, and and again, this fits into where music was starting to go to in 92 or early 93, probably right around when when I got this, where it, 
it, it fit the mood of the times better for me. I've I always imagined this production was like what they were going for with Born Again, but Born Again went a little off the rails and it went too bassy, too muddy. But this has that slightly little cloudy, kind of bassy, not a lot of top end to it, real mid-rangey. But it just adds to to the atmosphere of it, and it where I might look at the first Black Sabbath album, the early Black Sabbath Ozzy era stuff, and it makes me think of Hammer Horror and English countrysides and and old churches in England with old cemeteries and stuff like that and tolling bells. That's what I think of with that stuff. Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules makes me think more of like fantasy type stuff. This makes me think of gritty uh post-apocalyptic urban decay uh industrial not the industrial music but just industrial buildings and smog and and that kind of like uh, steel stacks and everything like I, I always sort of imagine them recording this album somewhere cold and clinical like it, it just has this sort of cold feeling to it to me and it's just from top to bottom so I was listening to it today. It is so heavy. I mean, top to bottom, there is, man, if somebody wanted to make the argument that this is from A to Z, the heaviest Black Sabbath album, I, I don't know if I would argue with them. It is a really, really heavy. There's no moments of levity on this anywhere. There's no even kind of Lady Evil, which kind of has a bouncy, upbeat vibe to it. Uh, this is just cold and stifling. There's a lot of riffs there's a lot of energy to it uh, geezer's playing his bass like crazy all over this record Vinny's drums are real kind of dry and in your face and just real kind of clangy and just right there and i always think of that sound at the beginning of uh, uh computer god that like metallic like yeah. sounds like somebody's hitting an anvil or something you know it's like that that's the sound of this record to me clanking machines and and stuff like that yeah. and we would know that this is where ronnie would go with dio after this lineup fell apart ronnie would go more in this direction and the lyrics reflected too you know this was a conscious decision geezer has talked about how he kind of said to ronnie you know let's let's try to move away from the rainbows and the fantasy that kind of stuff and let's do something that's a little bit more gritty a little bit more right now and they embrace that you know the early 90s was an era when the internet was bubbling uh technology was starting to take off so there was sort of this fear of technology uh back then and there is still today so maybe this album is still you know relevant uh today and and so i think the lyrics also make it sound very modern, make it sound relevant without sounding like they're, you know, that was our complaint with tear that it sounded like they were trying to sound like white snake or one of the modern LA bands. I know white snakes, not an LA band, but uh, one of those bands at that time, but to humanizer, I don't know. It just works for me here. It sounds modern, but it still has an old sort of feel to it. Uh, I just love the vibe of it. Uh, I just love it. I've always loved it. It feels like a deep cut album too, whereas Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, you know, maybe there's some songs on there. We've, I don't want to say I'm burnt out on those records, but there's just something about The Humanizer. It's an album that I come back to really often. I find like there's a lot of interesting little things I can hear and find 
inside it. It's just a really enjoyable album from from top to bottom for me. Yeah, I agree. I always enjoy it. Um, and like I said earlier, I I, I do listen to it a lot. Um, with regard to the to the lyrical content and in, in, in the point you made about Geezer wanting Ronnie to move away from some of the the things that he sang about, um, yeah, that's that's noticeable, and and that's one of the benefits of of this album. It, it it sounds it has a sincere quality to it from the lyrical standpoint. I, I don't necessarily think that lyrically it's relevant at this point in time, but I I think that's kind of cool because it kind of gives you you a snapshot of 1992, and and a lot of the the things that you know the the computer, you know the talking about well the song computer god computers getting out of control and putting computers controlling things and putting too much emphasis on technology and things like that that's still sort of relevant now but in a different way um this was like in the early stages of that it's it's kind of funny to 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 see some of the concepts that they they're citing as as being threatening when we've <laughs> we've moved beyond that now or i mean if they knew the things that we're dealing with now yeah they knew about ai back yeah then. <laughs> not to go into anything specific but oh my god you know they they they'd really be frightened but it, it's cool because it gives you a snapshot um of where things were and i really appreciate that that they did that and i, I kind of think that they knew from a from a survival perspective they they had to kind of move away that musical climate at the time wasn't really conducive when we got into this a little bit with the with our Aussie no more tears podcast um the musical climate the kids they, they had moved away from from the the subject matter of of things that were prevalent in the 80s and and you know that's one of the reasons that i think grunge was as popular and why that was like really becoming a, a force to be reckoned with is because it just had a different attitude it wasn't singing about uh fantasy or you know partying and things like that it was getting more into like gritty reality things and i, I think that that's what what the kids or just people in general were were wanting to hear and and sabbath delivered that and i, and I think that that was a really good idea in the way that they did i mean you know you said the geezer approached ronnie and said hey you know let's move away from the from the um rainbows and and, and the fantasy lyrics and, and it seemed like dio was all all about it yeah okay and got into it and the lyrics he writes are, are really good and he he sings them really well it wasn't like it didn't sound odd to hear and that, that's one another amazing thing about this is there is a shift lyrically and it doesn't sound odd it sounds very natural and and that's really cool and and it to to dio's benefit um it, it showed him as as a singer you know who who wrote his own lyrics but wasn't locked into this this old, well, this one frame of mind with everything that that he was you know a conduit for for things that he were going on around him and and you know not just socially but even in the business i mean just from probably being aware of music that was popular and and things that needed to be done in order to stay or, or in order to be relevant um and and taking it to task and and doing it and doing it really well um 
I think lyrically there's some really, really powerful phrasing going on. Um, there's some colorful lyrics and the way that he delivers them makes them even more exciting. The way he sings, he's, he, Dio always owns his lyrics, but with the shift of subject matter, owning them just as much as the things that he was singing about that we've all become accustomed to, but now moving into this new lyrical thing with, with Dio and the band um, and delivering it as convincingly as he does makes it even more heavy and powerful and and that's another thing i appreciate and i don't want to get i don't want to get ahead of ourselves because there's you know i could reference a couple songs that i i still think are like chill inducing but um and we'll get we'll, we'll get to those songs but um yeah it, it it's a it's it's a i think it's an underappreciated album um and and, and that's unfortunate because i i think like like a lot of things, and we've we've discussed this before. Sometimes people are influenced by the reputation of certain albums, and so they have a predisposition for listening to it. Like somebody will tell them, "Oh, well, this one isn't good, and this one is. So you you should like this one, but you you shouldn't like this one." I mean, if you want to be hit, don't say you like this one or don't like this album. You know, it's like a a common thing for people to say oh well you know technical ecstasy and never say die aren't the good ones they're not the ones that you should listen to uh, i i think dehumanizer as i'm seeing more and more, more when i visit forum boards and stuff and go on like some facebook groups and i see people dogpile on top of dehumanizer and i think it's i think it may may have achieved a reputation where people are, are expressing that it's not a good one it's it, it's not it, it's no, no mob rules it's no heaven and hell but it's pretty good but it's still a disappointment that's sort of the reputation that i i see it that it having a lot of times and that, that's really disappointing because i don't think it's accurate at all um but such as it is you know i mean the people yeah i that think that know, has like, to do with we we know it's a great album and we love it and we yeah. appreciate it you know so I, th I think it's really the timing too. You know, this is '92, summer of '92. Uh, Nevermind had come out in September of '91, so we're we're really like Pearl Jam and Nirvana. They are just really exploding. There's a real feeling of people. Their attention was somewhere else, and you know, let's face it. With with Black Sabbath, at this point. You know, Black Sabbath was, was at a really low point. We talked about Tear. They weren't even able to tour the U.S. They they weren't selling a lot of records. They were really on a, on a downswing. Same mm. thing with Ronnie. Lock Up the Wolves did not do as well as the previous the previous albums. Uh, so, it's, you know, that's something you have to keep, remember, too, that, you know, as much as we want to think that, oh, these guys got back together because they just want to make some heavy music. No, they kind of did this, too, because they want to make some money and they want they know that uh, getting Ronnie back in the band, the mob rules lineup, that it's going to get some press. It's going to get some attention. And both of their careers were uh, were on a were on a downswing. So. You know, the, the the timing of it all, if this album had come out a couple of years earlier, if it had come out maybe a couple of years later, or if Black Sabbath hadn't 
you know, gone through so many lineup changes and everything before this, maybe people would have, uh, you know, maybe they would have, they it, it would have maybe landed a little bit differently. The nineties was a confusing and difficult time for, for a lot of bands. And, and I agree with you that people have come back now and they've, uh, you know, they've listened to this record and you mentioned Ronnie's singing. He it sings so aggressively yeah. on this. I mean, he just has so much like extra grit and sort of anger in mm-hmm. his voice. You're not getting any, there's no slipping away, which is a fun kind of jammy tune. You're not getting uh walk away and that, that type of thing on here, which Ronnie usually has one or two things like that on almost all his records. This yeah. is just like, there's just a lot of, sort of aggression in in anger on this record and you can really feel it coming through the riffs are really kind of you know heavy and to the point there's a lot of you know stuff that just comes right out at you the mix is pretty unforgiving uh yeah and i i it's an album i i liked from the beginning it's an album that's that's grown on me even more through the years. And I find myself kind of frequently grabbing it. I, I will throw a knock though, against the album cover. I remember seeing that early on and I thought it looked a little cartoonish. Uh, I mean, it's okay. I mean, it, it's not that I don't like it, but I just remember think, thinking it looked a little comic book, comic booky. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's an album that's just like born again in some ways. It's, it's, it kind of has has maybe not even so much as born again born again really has like a, a fan base a cult yeah. fan base and i'm it not does. sure if the humanizer quite has has yeah, that you know it's, so. it's 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 it is just sort of forgotten record which is strange because it's not like the martin era albums that uh aren't on streaming because they were on irs you know this was yeah. This is on the streaming services. This has been given the deluxe reissue thing. Yeah. It's been remastered and all that kind of stuff. One thing, though, that really struck me when I was listening to the, to the album today, it made me realize the difference between this lineup and the tier lineup. R- Ronnie, and we've talked about this, Ronnie is not... It's not all about Ronnie and his band. He needs strong band members around him. That's why there was a magic and a chemistry with Vivian Campbell, uh, Vinnie Apice, Jimmy Bain with that original Dio lineup. And as much as people like to say Black Sabbath is all about Tony Iommi, he's certainly a big part of it. It isn't just about Tony Iommi. And when you put together Iommi, Dio, Geezer, Vinny, you get this just real high quality record where with Tear, as much as I like Tear, as much as I like Headless Cross even more than Tear, it just doesn't have that elite level of songwriting and performance that you get here when you put these guys together and you can say the same thing with Ozzy too when these guys are together with Ozzy there was a chemistry and that's the difference the difference between Tear and Dehumanizer it's Ronnie James Dio and his songwriting chops and his voice and Geezer and Vinny and you put all that together and you get just 
magic in my opinion chemistry and there's there's obviously something there they knew it because they got back together three times they disbanded disbanded and rejoined with each other you know three times uh, with heaven the band heaven and hell and this yeah. original so i think even they they recognized that but to me this you know it, it, you just you, you hear it here deals just his melody lines are great his, his even though he's tackling different lyric matter he still does it with authority it's very interesting it's still conjures up a lot of imagery just like he does with his fantasy type lyrics but just the subject matter has moved towards you know a different uh, more modern uh, more modern current event type of things for for you know 1992 so yeah i mean not to be cynical but you, you make a good point this wasn't all about um wanting to or them artistically feeling like this was the right time to do it because they just felt an artistic urge to 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 do this. I mean, it was it was the record label was anxious for. I think it was Warner Warner Time Warner. Maybe that's the the, the big boss or the the corporation behind. I think it was, it was the IRS and in, in overseas and Warner Reprise in the U.S. They were pushing for this to happen uh you know tony pretty much jumped ship kept cozy like you said earlier he didn't they just tony tony martin didn't get the phone call to show up for rehearsals and <laughs> he said uh, there's something in one of martin popoff's books where the black sabbath organization kind of went like this if you were in the band you'd get a phone call to go into rehearsal if you weren't in the band, you didn't get a phone call. And if you showed up, you'd be escorted out. <laughs> so pretty harsh. Yeah. And I mean, I Tony Martin pretty... talks about how, like, having a conversation with Ian Gillen about, yeah. like, you know, when did you realize you weren't in the band? And he's like, I just, just, just show up on stage don't call you. And all of a sudden you turn on the TV and there's another singer in the band. Yeah. And, you know, and this, unfortunately, Tony Martin gets sort of, uh, you know, taken advantage of in some ways. You know, I mentioned yeah. this in the introduction, you know, that, yeah. I, and I guess it but, should be talked about that. And you mentioned this, that, that, you know, did, there was some financial reasons for doing this. And it was a little chilly, I think, when they first got together. I read that Ronnie was a little protective of his, you know, what he was doing. And everybody was sort of like, can we really trust each other? here and they weren't sure if it was really happening with ronnie so they brought tony martin back in for like 24 hours two days or something yeah. and tony martin's out again and ronnie's back and Wait. and it kind of sunk tony martin because tony martin was working on his solo album tony martin's like oh okay so all right well then i'm gonna go and i'm gonna do my thing i'm gonna do back where i belong and um he had polydor records was supporting it we're working on that he gets the call. I think the, the Dio was in the band for like four or five months and they started getting disenchanted with, with Dio and they were having problems. So they called Tony Martin back and then his label was aware of it and they felt like, okay, so are you going back with Sabbath? Because if you are, we're not going to put a lot into this album because you're not going to support it because you're going to be in Black Sabbath. And they did ended up not being in black sabbath they went back to finish his solo album but by then the the label had kind of pulled off pulled out and went on to to, to something else and i forget what label it was only i think it was only distributed in 
overseas in Europe and in the UK. But um, yeah, so he kind of it kind of sunk his ship too. I mean, he were he was trying to like build his solo career and and you know pulling the the Sabbath guys or pulling him in and then you know false starts. It 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 had it, it had an impact on his solo career. So you you got to feel sorry for Tony Martin to an extent. But I mean, all of this of course happened with his permission because when Black Sabbath calls. You answer, you know, <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, I mean, he knew he knows uh, it, we knew at this point how the organization, how things went. But, you know, I mean, like he he was still there, you know, he OK, you need me. OK, he was waiting in the wings. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it wasn't all wine and roses when, when this when this lineup got together and, um, and, and it took a long time. And. Uh, Whereas the previous albums with Dio might have taken, you know, Dio came in and he was really fired up, and the band said, or I think it was a geezer that said, you know, when Ronnie first joined Sabbath, he had he was just excited, he had a lot of ideas. Within six months, they they had an album <clears throat> from start to finish, more or less. This one took eighteen months, and you know, it was like tony would be working or the, the band would be rehearsing and dia would be over there reading the newspaper not really showing any interest in what was going on and it was like getting kind of frustrating for them it's like what do we have to do to get him engaged and dia was just waiting for the perfect riff or whatever it was that he needed to be inspired to engage and that was frustrating for them so there was like it wasn't quite the same that 10 year span you know, you got to think that Dia went on and he had a successful solo career. So now he came back in a Black Sabbath thinking, oh, I'm just as successful. I'm more successful than Black Sabbath. You need me more than I need yeah. you. That was his attitude throughout the entire thing. You need me more than I need you. And he was right. Because we're talking about Tear. We're talking about Headless Cross. Mm -hmm. It was moderately successful. Tear, not as much, but... Still, I mean, those two albums and the time that Dio was away from the band was nowhere near as successful as when he was in the band. So he was right. And that was pretty much his state of mind the entire time that he was in the band. Um, as far as it being something that was conceived from a monetary standpoint, I don't I think somewhat, but not entirely, because. Dio invited the whole thing started out. Dio invited Geezer to join him on stage, and Geezer said that it had been enough time that it had gone by where yeah, he missed Ronnie and and he wanted to get back into that feeling that was there when they made music together, and um, and it was time, and they felt it was time, and and you know it was it seemed like there there could be some some good material to come out of this situation now that you know cooler heads have prevailed and it's been long enough and and obviously that's what happened but could it have been a better record if there wasn't that 10-year span and there was different career dynamics where Dio was a popular you know became a successful solo artist and and you know geezer had moved away and it wasn't part of the sabbath he was playing with ozzy and that was kind of strange 
you know, he was sort of estranged from Black Sabbath there for a while. So there was a lot of different things. And then, of course, all of a sudden, everything converges and here's this band. And even if you want to try to, to pretend like none of this stuff is relevant, it, it, it has to be. And I think it ultimately was because as it ended, here comes the Ozzy thing again. Now there, yeah. there wasn't, if they really committed, even they, I think they could have even made the Tony Martin era work if they really committed to it, but there was no commitment. It was always like, you know, there's a, there's a popular meme on social media where a guy's standing next to his girlfriend and something's walking by. Yeah. He's yeah. Yeah. And he's looking it's over kind of like that. It, it, it's like whatever singer would be, you know, so, so, the, the meme would be Tony Iommi, Tony Iommi and the singer and Tony Iommi's head cocked towards Dio walking by right, right. or Ozzy walking by. Or Tony, Tony Iommi's walking down like, with Tony Martin and he's looking over his shoulder at Ozzy sure. or at, at Dio, you know, like, whoa, there's some. Yeah, there's always something to distract him from what, what you know, what, what he's, what's going on currently. And, and, and that's a weakness. And that's, and that's one of the things that I think was well it, it killed two lineups it, it killed the tony martin lineup which may have been for the better but it also killed the uh the dehumanizer when they signed on dio had said i didn't just join for a one-off record this wasn't a reunion this was a permanent thing we were going to do this from now until the day that they had the wheels on stage in a wheelchair this was going to be our last thing i was back in black sabbath and moving forward that's all i was going to do so it wasn't like a one-off thing reunion. I mean, he signed on. And then when these two shows came up at Costa Mesa and Tony agreed to open up for Ozzy, Dio was like, no, that, that doesn't make any sense. I don't want to do that. And he stood his ground and he didn't do it. And that was that. Um, and you got to respect him for that. I, I, I think he was right. I think it, I think he did, as you said, he did kind of perceive the inevitable reunion thing coming on, and it did a few years later. So, he, you know, you know, and he wasn't going to be used as a pawn to get Sabbath to the next level. He wanted to be the the next. He wanted to be the yeah part of the of the Black Sabbath lineup that rode out into the sunset. This was it, you know. Yeah, I'm and I think he knew that when they all right, we do these shows and you guys are going to get up and play with Ozzy and everybody's going to go crazy and then the press is going to go crazy and everybody's going to start asking when when are you the, the original four guys getting back together? And in the meantime, Ronnie's standing in the corner. How does he feel? And it's, it's, it's like saying you're married and you say to your wife, well, I'm just I'm just going to go to my ex-wife's birthday party. There's, there's nothing to it. I'm just going sure. over to, you know, it's yeah. her, it's her birthday. I want to, you know, just, just go. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's, it's, yeah. and you're right. It was like, in some ways they, and I think Ronnie even has, has even say, don't, don't quote me on this one. I know it was Ronnie said this, or maybe Tony Martin said it. They never really, got over Ozzy they were always kind of like wanting this to happen and it was always live aid in 85 uh just various times where the, where it seemed like it was almost going to happen and and eventually it did and, and not that long after this actually you know when when was the reunion 99 98 
so there, there was always this this sort of thing where they just couldn't again if you use it like a like a boyfriend and a girlfriend that break up and they're seeing other people but they're still staying in touch with each other they still wish each other happy birthday they call each other they still talk every now it just and it doesn't work that way you know you can't and, and so it always, you know, I think Ronnie said it, it was like the, in the back of their minds, they were always kind of, and when they're looking at Ozzy, let's, you know, here's the other thing to remember. Okay. So two points, if lock up the wolves was multi-platinum and if tier had uh, sold 5 million copies, this probably wouldn't have happened. The record label wouldn't have pushed either of them to do this. And, and there would have been that. The other thing is, is that when, Oz, or, uh, Tony and Geezer are sitting there looking at Ozzy. Ozzy is m- maybe at, we did our No More Tears podcast. Ozzy is maybe at the height of his popularity at this mm-hmm. point. Ozzy, No More Tears, multi platinum album, touring the world, household name. Ozzy is is bigger than ever. So you can kind of imagine Tony and Geezer kind of being wow, if we got him back in the band and, you know, everything would just be fine again, you know, it would be, it would help the band and and all that. And and so there was, I'm sure there was a little bit of the feeling of that. And I can't blame Ronnie for saying, Hey, we're trying to, it's the same thing that happened. Cozy Powell said the same thing when, when they left to dehumanizer, then when Tony leaves again, uh, after 96 to start getting back together with Ozzy, he felt betrayed. He felt like, Hey, I thought we were here to build this thing back up that we had a understanding that we were going to yeah. build black Sabbath back up a consistent lineup, really build this thing up. And then Tony leaves and Dio walks in and feels the same way. We're going to do this We're everybody's committed to this. And then as soon as Ozzy walks by, it's like the meme, like you said, their heads are turning and the, you know, oh, you know, and then they're, they're gone and yeah. that's it. And so Ronnie wasn't the only person who, 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 you know, they, they did this too. They did it to the, the tier lineup in a band just when and granted tier wasn't financially successful, but they were trying to sort of build this thing back up. And then they, 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 they did away with it. And then after yeah. this, you know, and it's Kenneth is this constant. If you're just, we're hardcore Sabbath fans, we were willing to weather this storm of constant lineup changes. But if you're somebody that's just a, a casual Sabbath fan, you've got yeah. paranoid in your collection. Maybe you've got heaven and hell, maybe one and a master of reality. You, you probably just throw your hands up in the air. Like, gosh, every album, there's a different lineup. There's a different singer. There's all this confusion. It's back and forth. And it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, want to put your heart into something when you just constantly, I mean, by this point with black Sabbath, I had no illusion. Cause I had been, Oh, mob rules era they're good this is going to be together forever then i thought ian gillen was going to be in the band forever then i thought and eventually i was just like okay you fooled me enough times here i don't trust you guys i'll just buy the records when it comes out who's ever on them is on them at this point i'm not in investing my heart and soul in any particular lineup just for it to disintegrate a year you know a year down the road 
It is frustrating because if they had if, if they had committed to this lineup, I think there would have been more records to follow. Um, and I could have seen them moving into the 90s really well yeah. with this lineup. I, I can't really see that with Tier unless they had shifted the sound that they had on Tier was getting ready to 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 be uh, you know washed away when grunge shows up to be outdated it was that sound on tier even though it fit at that time was uh, right around the corner was going to be really outdated but the humanizer felt like it could hang right in there with alice in chains and those kind of sludgy yeah. seattle yeah. bands yeah. so yeah. they could have rolled through the 90s they were setting themselves up and they were actually in a good spot here. 92, it's all getting rolling. If they had continued with this and supported this and kept going in this direction, I think that they could have fit in. They could have fit into the nineties really well. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I could see, um, I could see them touring with Alice in Chains or something. I think that they toured with Danzig and someone else that was a little bit more on well, not that dancing is really modern, but I guess more modern than Black Sabbath. But yeah, I could have seen them hitting the road with a couple grunge bands. And, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have sounded or wouldn't have seemed unusual. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's frustrating to think of that there could have been more music from this lineup. And and you made a point a while back, and you said that. When these guys are together, it brings out the best in all of them. And I agree, at least as far as this album is concerned. When it, Heaven and Hell, when, it, when they became in Heaven and Hell, the devil you know, I don't, that's not as good as this. I, so I, I can't say, maybe too much time had passed again. But if they were working off the momentum that they had here, I mean, you, you got to look at it this way. One of the things we complained about, at least I know I had an issue with Tony Iom, and, and, and you did too, you you. We noted that Tony Iommi's guitar tone, yeah, changed during the Tony Martin eras. But here, it's back, and it sounds great. I mean, yeah, the Real riffs, heavy. man, they're there, and it's like you know, why, why didn't he? Why wasn't he doing this the whole time? What was keeping him from doing it? Was it the fact that when Dio and Geezer are back in the band, it, you, you, a switch goes off, and oh, it's like I'm going to go back to to what I do when I'm playing with these guys, because that's what it seems like, because I mean, it was so much better. You know, Tony's got his tone back and, and the riffs are there. Geezer, you know, you can hear Geezer all over this record. It, it just has a classic sound. And um, what Geezer was doing on his own, the Geezer Butler band, sounded nothing like this when he rejoined. I mean, that was like what the Geezer Butler band that never really got off the ground. He he couldn't get a record deal, but there's some demos floating around. You can find them on YouTube and stuff. And one of the songs actually is yeah became yeah, Master of Insanity. Master of Insanity, yeah, verbatim. Um, and actually, I don't think Dio had Dio maybe tweaked a couple things, but it was it was Geezer and uh, the guitar player that he had in his band, Jimmy Bell, that that wrote that song. Uh, but other than that, there's another song called Computer God, which has nothing to do with the song Computer God that's on this album. It only shares the same title. But, but Geezer wasn't even doing anything that was like sounding like Black Sabbath. It was kind of like, I don't know. How would you, you've heard it. What would you say? It was yeah. like just basic uh, AOR 
pop yeah metal, you know, it was stuff. really strange considering yeah. where he would go with his gzr stuff which was very more modern aggressive more, more and like modern metal. yeah he was a little uh, yeah it was that early stuff was just kind of yeah. weird and so, so you know you had tony that was doing the music that sounded the way that it did on headless cross and tear and he had geezer in 1986 around, around the same time before he left playing with ozzy but you know him left to his own devices he wasn't sounding like geezer butler black sabbath geezer butler or the geezer butler that we we knew and loved from Ma rules and heaven and hell and even in the ozzy era until he comes back and he's in the room or he's in this this band with with ronnie and tony and and Vinny, and, and all of a sudden everything just clicks and it's like a switch goes off and they just automatically fall into this black sabbath sound traditional true black sabbath sound and that was that's what's so great about it and also so frustrating that this could have been the first of a series of, of records to follow had they had stayed focused and not been distracted by oh we could have a reunion with ozzy and that might be more lucrative than what we're doing now if there was an artistic commitment to what they were doing i think the fruits of their labor maybe not as successful monetarily speaking as it was when they rejoined with ozzy and did those tours but it, it, it could have been it could have been very profitable I, I think if they would have stuck with it did some tours and and put the band back on a map again i think that i think that it would have been the right thing for them to do but now yeah, hindsight's always 2020 of course you know <laughs> nothing to do with it neither did you so you know what can you say but from uh from a fan's perspective from a fan's point of view it's 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 and a lot of times you go into these when we do our podcasts and we go into these records and we have the benefit of hindsight and you know the outside the box perspective it's like oh but what if we could, we know what could have happened it could have been so good if they'd have, have done this but they didn't you know it's, it's always frustrating to be a black sabbath fan but and right around the corner from this 1994 is when they released that if you remember that tribute album the nativity in black mm -hmm. tribute album and it started this kind of wave of appreciation again for black sabbath yeah uh, a lot of the grunge bands like soundgarden and allison chains mentioned started citing black sabbath henry rollins and yeah and it created this sort of in some ways that probably created the momentum for them getting back together with, uh, with Ozzy. But if they had continued with Ronnie, I really think that right around that nativity and black album, I remember that was kind of when everybody started looking back on black Sabbath and being like, yeah this is it's hip to like black sabbath it's yeah. the, the influence that they had people really started started recognizing them and if they were still there and if they were still active i could have easily pictured like a, a pantera in black sabbath double bill oh yeah sure sure you know uh, i pantera probably would have headlined but uh mm. still you know pantera out on tour with with black sabbath 1994 95 uh 
you, you could picture any of those bands when Soundgarden and Alice in Chains are at the peak of their powers, also wanting to go out with, with Sabbath. And I just think they could have, if they had stuck with this, they could have, they could have made it happen. And Dehumanizer was setting them up for it. It wasn't like they were going to have to shift gears or do something different or something like that. This sound could have worked. Tear, Headless Cross, that couldn't have worked in the 90s. Uh, this sound, it you could get, have. Yeah, you get the proper promo campaign going. Um, well, first of all, I mean, Pantera opened up for Sabbath when, when they did the OzFest reunion that was with Mike Borden, Ozzy, Tony and Geezer, Mike Borden, Pantera opened for that. And I'm not sure if they were the I'm not sure if they were direct support. I think they were. So you're right. I mean they could have been easily paired with with Pantera, but uh, Pantera wouldn't have headlined. It would have still been Black Sabbath. And that would have kind of given that a would have given the whole thing a push. You know, they're with a currently popular band and now that makes them relevant um yeah i mean you're you're right there was that nativity in black and i think that came out in like 94 and yeah, black sabbath was cool typo negative did yeah. it uh, october 94 yeah and uh and henry rollins had always been a black sabbath fan he would name drop black sabbath a lot when he was and you know if you're familiar with black flag black yeah. flag my war um slip it in there's a lot of slow sludgy sabbathy obviously there was a black sabbath influence so um yeah i mean there's a lot of ways that the machine or the band could have kept rolling along and if they were looking in the right direction they, they could have used some of these things they to their advantage and and become really relevant really popular again and made some great music I mean, because that's the most important thing making great music and I think they could have. I think that this album shows that maybe they there was a little cold, there was a little bit of like standoffishness going on, and but I think if they stuck with it, did the tour, back in the studio, time for a second album, I I think it probably would have subsided. And it would have got used to each other again, and it would have been a familiar situation and more comfortable, yeah. and then maybe better material or anything even as good would have followed so that's the unfortunate thing about it but yeah all right shall we jump into the into the songs mm -hmm. yep okay so the album opens with uh computer god uh i love this main riff here this start and stop thing the drum beat in this Ronnie's vocal delivery. I love when it goes into that double time feel. I only solo on this. It's just so heavy. And the little geezer does a little bass fill at one point. Do 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 you know yeah. in those open spaces. It just oh man, it's just so heavy. It's a great, great album opener. And that riff is just killer. And Ronnie's voice, like we mentioned earlier, is just so aggressive and he has so much venom in his uh in his sound there it's uh it's really really great so yeah this i love this tune a great album opener yeah it's a great album opener it, it sets the sets the pace right away it's heavy it's it's brooding 
the lyrical subject matter lets you know that this isn't you know going to be about wishing wells and rainbows and wizards and things like that this is a more of a reality based uh, socially relevant album and uh right so right off the bat they're letting you know what's what to expect from the rest of the album and it more or less moves in this direction but it's a great album opener i love that you mentioned that sound effect with like that that clanking yeah industrial sort of thing that cold metallic thing yeah that that really uh opens things up for the song gets things kicked off and great riff i love that lick that you mentioned that that get geezer does that that's really cool um and when it you know does it goes into the double time part i love tony's lead yeah yeah it's a great it's a great album lead off track yeah and i love the line when dio spits out that line man's a mistake so we'll fix, fix it, it. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 that just, is cool that's yeah. great it, it almost takes on sort of his voice of like you know a machine like with his with his delivery it's so great yeah it gets in the character Okay, uh, after all, uh, parentheses, the dead. Uh, honestly, this, now again, I love this record, but if I had to rank the songs on this record, this would be towards the bottom for me. And I don't really like it here at song number two. It's a little too slow for me. It takes too long for it to get off the ground. I like the I like when it does finally get there and like the outro of the song, I think, is really cool. And it's pretty cool the way it starts, too. But ah, this one for me, I just I this was never my favorite song on this record. I still like it, but it's just never was never. It's my least favorite song on this record, probably. And I think it has to do with kind of the. The, the tempo and the way it just doesn't get kicking. Uh, this is somewhere where Ronnie would go after this a lot, these sort of slower plotting songs. I did not like the fact that when they reunited as heaven and hell, that they were opening shows with this. I don't think it's a good show opener. It's again, for the same reasons, I don't like it early here on the record. I think this would have been a much better side two opener. I could really hear this opening side too but uh, where it sits right here just not comfortable with it but i do but there are aspects of it uh that i like you know the riffs are heavy ronnie of course sounds great but just the song in general doesn't quite get off the ground the way i want it to we did a uh layer of the alchemist video for uh deep cuts maybe it was like our, maybe it was an epic was it the epics yeah maybe this one was on my list. I, I, I do like this song. I, I like it a lot. Um, I understand what you're saying about its placement on the album, the sequence. It 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 kind of maybe not in the right place, but I don't mind where it is. And after all this time, I'm used to hearing it there. To me, this song, where it may not be as exciting in the riff department, it's exciting lyrically and the way that Dio sings it. There's so many little phrases and so many nuances. Yeah. Flexions that he does in this song that I look forward to hearing. I love his melody. I I, I, I that to me is what makes this song work. Um, there are a lot of things that if those things if his voice wasn't as on point as it is, 
it may not be as enjoyable for me to listen to, but that's what draws me to this song. And that's what I really appreciate about it. I was listening to it before we started this and I was like, oh man, it's just such a great song. Um, but I, I do see your point. And it, if, you, if you're not feeling it or if it doesn't grab you the same way, then it, it can be sort of like a portion of the album that, you have to kind of get through it's not bad it's not great but i i do find this song really appealing and um uh, yeah it, it's one of, it's actually one of the highlights on the album for me but there's not a bad song on the album but i i would say that that this is this is kind of a, a highlight for me based on the way that that dio delivers it yeah it is kind of all about ronnie on this one and and his uh his vocal delivery but Okay, uh, next is TV Crimes, and they had a video for this one, and it's 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 kind of funny if uh, when you listen to original vinyl releases of stuff from the '70s and the '80s and the early '90s, you can pick out a lot of times the song that they were thinking was going to be the the single or the the radio song or the video yeah. song because this song is a couple dbs hotter a little louder than the other songs it sort of jumps out at the thing and and it's cool it's got a ton of energy to it i like the i like the main riff it's it's a real chugger when uh you know ronnie's uh, spitting out the the lyrics one day in the life of the lonely and that riff underneath it is just chugging along really well uh we talked about geezer man he's got these fills that are just like all over the bass neck on mm. this one uh it's it's just it's crazy uh so yeah this this is a cool one it's got a ton of energy uh yeah great guitar solo uh dio sounds great on it uh catchy chorus cool song i like the video for it the, the band isn't actually in the video but they are it, it shows a guy walking down the street and he, he i think he like steals a tv or something and when he's picking up the tv you see the band on the tv screen and the band like makes cameos but it's following this 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 situation where this guy is it doesn't have anything to do with the lyrical the subject matter which is kind of odd as far as the lyrical subject matter um I guess this is something that was still kind of relevant at the time that it came out. Now we hear nothing about televangelists anymore. Yeah. And not even anything that anybody cares about or is even interesting anymore. And I think this was like the last we heard of like televangelists. It was the last time that it was even relevant to anything. Um, but, but the way that the, that he, that Dio writes the lyrics um, makes it interesting. One day in the life of the lonely, yeah, um, it's a little different. It, it it goes above the average way that you know any other band would probably present this this subject matter. But yeah, the song's got a great energy. Love the riff. Tony's lead is really really cool. Kind of bouncy, but it still has a dark element to it. Yeah, it's it's a great song. Okay. Uh, Letters from Earth. Man, I love this one. I love this opening riff. It's kind of like some combination of the heaven and hell riff and snow blind. It's got that sort of real, 
hang big hanging chords from my own me just so powerful and the way it just comes right in <clears throat> on the riff is is just great i love when uh tv crimes ends and i just know that this one is coming up that opening riff there is just fantastic uh this is a deep cut sabbath favorite for me uh the chorus i love the way he sings the chorus the way he kind of drops down on his in his voice, it gets real, real menacing. Uh, the lyrics, I don't belong here and I'm writing to you with blood on my hands. I mean, it's just, yeah. oh, it's just fantastic, man. That the riffs are just epic. And, you know, on this one, there, I guess there really isn't like a, a longer epic the way Heaven and Hell has Heaven and Hell or no. Sign of the Southern Cross. But this is maybe kind of, kind of fits fits that a little bit uh so i, I, I just yeah go ahead i think there's two epics and i, I think after all is, <clears throat> is one of them and i think too late is the other um so the, it, the you know the, the check box of the epics are on this album but they're in they're they're placed a little strangely as in comparison to the previous records of like heaven and hell and mob rules but um uh letters from earth yeah i i think it's um i think it has a very traditional sabbath feel to it like in yeah. an Ozzy era kind of way and then you know we've always talked about how we don't like the way that dio sings the ozzy era songs but what would he have done with say what would his melodies have been like what would his lyrics have been like say if he was there instead of ozzy when they wrote war pigs or paranoid or Children of the Grave, or Iron Man. I think Letters from Earth is sort of the answer to that. This is a traditional-sounding Iomi riff. It sounds like if you take Dio's voice off of it and you take that riff, I think it would probably work with any of the material that was on, say, maybe the first three or four albums. Um, so it's it's cool to hear that. You know, it's very, very Sabbath-y. It isn't like, oh, this is Dio era Sabbath, so forget about the first eight albums this brings it all together. It's like this, it's just Black Sabbath. And Dio's singing it, and Dio does what he does best, pens some great lyrics. Um, so, and supposedly the, the lyrics that are about, um, again, I'm going to reference Martin Popoff's book. Um, I forget the name of it, but I think it was Dio that was saying that they would get letters from people like in prison or that were maybe down on their luck or whatever and they were talking about how black sabbath's music got them through these hard times and this is again another testament to the mindset of the lyrical subject matter of being a reality-based concept where letters from earth are about people living in the here and now and it's about a rel relevant uh, situation, people going through hard times, and and Dio's talking about these are letters from Earth. This is people around them, people from various walks of life, going through hard times, and, and you know the struggles that they face, and things like that. So, and again, I mean, from a traditional Black Sabbath standpoint, you know, when we're talking about like the first three, four albums. You know, you're talking about a band that would write lyrics about what the things that were going on around them. They weren't talking about, you know, 
partying and and you know hippie type things that might have been trending at the time you know they were always talking about things that they knew something about the things that they saw that were happening around them and that was one of the things that made them unique for that period of time and this is kind of like a, a throwback to that letters from earth yeah it's one of the, the few on here that that makes me think of older black sabbath most of the stuff on here again feels kind of like it fits more modern sounding but this is one where i could sort of picture picture it have been on one of the earlier dio records or even a, even an aussie record some of these riffs yeah. okay a master of insanity now we mentioned earlier that geezer had been working with uh, his own solo band and this was something that had come from that you get this uh, bass intro from geezer which is really just kind of bizarre and uh dissonant and you know he's moving around on the neck with these dissonant intervals and stuff like that it's just a really weird kind of intro there with the bass and the drums but it sounds awesome and it's super heavy when everything kicks in uh another one again that the heaviness level on this record is it's it's almost like it just keeps getting heavier as the album sort of inches uh, forward and this this is a really heavy one and it's that bizarre opening riff there when iomi comes in and starts doubling geezer on that it's just it's so so kind of strange i can't just now this is the exact opposite of letters from earth i can't picture this riff fitting into any of the earlier eras no. of the band uh but it's super heavy the chorus is great behind the lies you will see the master of insanity under the mask there will be the master of insanity uh mm -hmm. tempo changes uh it's just it's fantastic it just punch it packs a real a sort of wall up here to to end uh side one yeah and, and it's geezer's song and, and uh it's, it's strange to hear what, what when you hear the well it blends really well with the rest of the album but this is an this is a song that 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 ronnie didn't write the lyrics for ronnie maybe changed tweaked something here and there but not it was very his involvement in the writing process of the song was minimal if, if even he did anything i mean if you listen to the original version of the geezer butler band of the song it's it's the same one it's the same version that basically appears on this album um and it it does have that geezer butler lyrical thing going on which is really cool and it's important to have that in some capacity because you know geezer's always been the main lyricist in black sabbath and to have this song with geezer's lyrics i think is really is really great it's a good song um I don't think it sounds as modern as some of the other things. In fact, like the basic, the tempo, the rhythm, once it starts getting into it, kind of reminds yeah. me of the Lady of the Lake. The da -da 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 -da. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I was trying to think of what that reminded me. I was thinking Led Zeppelin. There's a Led Zeppelin yeah, song that has that. Song. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. That, that too. That's yeah. what it reminds me of. So it kind of has a 70s, 70s feel. Yeah. Yeah. But I love at the end when it drops down in tempo and is a dun 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 yeah. da, 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 dun dun. So this is a good side one ending. You know, this is another. This is actually when I think about it, there's a lot of songs that sort of fall into that slightly longer, slightly more epic, uh, you know, vibe to them. After all, clocks. Well, gosh, man, even Computer God, Computer. 
Wow. I, if I asked you what the longest song on side one was, what do you think is the longest song on side one of this record? I would say, without looking at the times, I would say probably after all. Computer God. Yeah. Six minutes, 10 seconds. Next longest is Master of Insanity at 554. Third longest is After All at 537. So yeah, there's there's some longer stuff on here. And surprisingly, I would have thought the same thing that it would have been after all or master of insanity. But yeah, it's 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 a it's a cool way to end uh to end side one. So uh -huh. Okay, side two uh, opens up with Time Machine. And this was part of the Wayne's World soundtrack. Forgot to mention that at the beginning of this thing here. And if you get a, any of the modern reissues of, uh, of this album, it will include this as a, a bonus track. Honestly, I don't hear any difference between the Wayne's World version of Time Machine and the album version, although I can't say I've really paid a whole lot of attention to it. And pet peeve of mine i hate when cds tack on one or two extra songs at the end and it sort of disrupts the flow of the record i'd rather have the bonus disc where if you want to listen to that you can listen to it if you want to listen to the album yeah. you can listen to the album uh this is a good song it, i always think that this sort of is like a weaker version of tv crimes it's like kind of has the same kind of feel to it it's uh you know, TV crimes is four minutes. Time machine is four minutes, 10 seconds. They kind of have the same kind of thing to them. And, and I like it, but, uh, it just doesn't, uh, you know, this, this one would be in the bottom, uh, you know, I'd probably put this at number my, if I was ranking the songs, this would probably be number, number eight for me. Interestingly, they played this with, even with Tony Martin, right. When they open up the uh, cross purposes show. So, so it's a good song and I like the feel of it. I like the main riff. Uh, there's uh, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of cool, there's a lot of cool aspects to it, but it, but it just kind of feels, you know, not, I, I, it occupies the same space as TV crimes for me. And I like TV crimes better. I guess that's what I'm saying. Okay. That's cool. I like it. I like it a lot. It's it's like I think it's an iconic. It's become an iconic song from this era, and I think that it's iconic as much as anything from Heaven and Hell, and Mob Rules. At least from my my perspective, it's a fun song, and I think this this album benefits from having a fun song on it. This is it. I love the riff. I really love when it kind of right before Tony in the brown in the middle. Right before Tony comes in and he kind of, you know, he, he comes in very uh, kind of quietly with his guitar solo. When it when it breaks, when it first breaks and, and Geezer's doing the bass solo part, I think that's really cool. It, it's cool to hear Geezer oh, doing yeah. the bass solo and then turning it over to Tony and then Tony takes the rest of the song, the rest of that yeah. segment out with the, with the guitar solo. And I'm going to say something right now that is 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 kind of it's a little bit of a, <laughs> a little strange thing to say but i actually prefer tony martin singing this song i love the way tony martin sings yeah. this song he i can see that song. i love dio i love dio the way he sings yeah it was the first one well dio was the one who recorded it but when i hear tony tony martin singing it live like on cross purposes live yeah. i really really enjoy it yeah um, so this is one that 
that I I I will say I I prefer Tony Martin singing. Um, but overall, yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, totally. I think yeah. Tony Martin really sells this one well. And you're right. This is probably the the lightest lightest in the sense in that it's it's you know you're living in a time machine and you don't know where you are yeah. you know it's the most melodic it's a little sing-songy uh you're right my favorite part is probably the the intro and and that spot where it's just the bass and then the the guitar comes in and i only has a lot of great solos on here i forgot to mention earlier letters from earth i love when he comes in on his solo in that one and he jumps up to that high note it's just oh it's great and he has a lot of lot of really cool yeah solos on here and yeah so this this one too i do like the solo in this maybe maybe that's why it doesn't it's not one of my favorites the chorus is a little sing-songy yeah. and after the crushing side one of this it's just so heavy uh just just yeah, it feels it feels a little little strange to me, and maybe that makes sense because I, I don't I don't know when this was written. Was this written early and given to the soundtrack, or was the album written and they wanted a song, so they gave them this? Uh, no, the different no the the uh, the version of Time Machine that's on Wayne's World was like a demo. Okay, I'm not sure who I mean, it might have been produced by Mac, but I, I'm not really sure. And this is probably in the liner notes here in the album, but um, it, it is a, it's a different recording. They re-recorded it to put on the album, same as they did with Mob Rules. Remember, Mob Rules was on the heavy yeah. soundtrack. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. For uh, for the album, they did the same thing here. Yeah, I just looked and it says it's the Time Machine Wayne's World version is produced by Black Sabbath. So yeah, that makes sense then that that was some sure a demo that they were working on oh and by the way i haven't even mentioned his name once yet uh jeff nichols is on yeah. this record and it's kind of strange there's i think i hear keyboards every now and then yeah but, but it is basically <laughs> it's basically not there uh, it's yeah. it's coming off of tear and and headless cross uh i don't know how jeff you know uh felt about that but uh because the keyboards are basically non-existent on this record i don't notice or think of jeff nichols at all on this record no and, and that's for the better i i, I think jeff, jeff had his day i think <laughs> i think he got a lot of he got a lot of studio time he got, he got a lot of production time in uh headless cross and tear i think Okay, let, let, let's let's get let's get real again. Now, and you can hear him. I mean, he's there. You know, he's this keyboards. You know, there's a, there's a keyboard layer underneath some of the some of the parts, some of the choruses and things like that. Which I think, in, a, in the context of Black Sabbath, I think that's where the keyboard should always be. If there has to be keyboards at all, it should be it should be subtle. I mean, I want to hear bass. I want to hear Tony's yeah. voice. I want to hear that guitar tone. And I want to hear whoever's singing. I want to hear them, you know, in a, in a normal place in the mix. I don't want to hear guitars running, or I don't want to hear keyboards running neck and neck with guitars or or keyboards. Yeah, not, as the not in Black Sabbath, right? No, it's For almost like if you don't notice the keyboards, then they're doing their job. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it should almost be like yeah. subliminal. That's that's right. And then <laughs> that's where they are. I mean, it's like, oh yeah. I mean, if you. They, they don't jump out at you but they are there and you hear them you're just not drawn to them but if you right if you away they would probably be conspicuous you'd be like oh that just sounds different what, what's what sounds 
what's off about this? And it would be that the keyboards are pulled out of the mix. Yeah. Um, in Black Sabbath, that, that's where they should be. And I agree with you that if there is a song that people would recognize from this record, it would be Time Machine. Uh, maybe that's because, I don't know, it was also on the Wayne's World soundtrack or whatever. But yeah, you're right. This is And this is the only song that survived the set list when when Tony Martin comes comes back into the band. So yeah. Okay, next, uh, Sins of the Father. Uh, this has another sort of uplifting melody here at the beginning. The right. I am the crazy man who lives inside your head. Uh, but then it pretty quickly gets uh, gets heavy. And uh, yeah, another one that I like. It, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't break above some of the heavier stuff on on side one for me. Uh, but it's a cool one. I like the chorus to it. Uh, you've been twisted into pieces by the hands of your emotion. I think it 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 moves nicely into the chorus, like the the, the chords or whatever they're doing in that uh, particular part. So, yeah, I, I like it a lot. I, I like that that it has a lot of variation. Yeah, it starts out kind of bouncy, kind of light, and then it shifts. And it reminds me of something that would be on sabotage for a couple reasons. One is because of the of the way that the song travels uh, within the context, and and from a more immediate in a more immediate way, it reminds me of sabotage in that riff that that settles in and around the middle. It sounds dun, 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 dun. it sounds like something that would have been sounds like a riff that would be on. That Tony would have done on on sabotage, a very traditional, classic, great Iomi riff. Um, so I, again, here's another song similar to Letters from Earth that kind of falls into a traditional Black Sabbath vibe, and uh, it's one of the things I appreciate about it. I, I'd say it's a highlight for me. I, I when it comes on, I, I really look forward to. To going on the little journey that the song takes you on and going over peaks and valleys that that occur within it and it's, it's, it's a really cool well-written song and i like the lyrics too yeah and you're right it is kind of like a journey it starts off in uh one kind of place this, this sort of uplifting uh the way the melody line is is there but then it sort of gets darker as as the song moves along so yeah, it is cool. They pack a lot of different little changes and sections in it. It's got, uh, it's almost like it has, uh, you know, the the chorus and just all the different sections to it. It 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 flows really well and it works. So, okay, too late. Here's man. This is another deep cut uh, favorite for me here. I love this song. Uh, I love the intro to it. The clean guitar, Sarah from Miami, Ronnie. I always love when Ronnie sings in that sort of softer voice. Uh, so it starts off real at atmospheric. When the drums kick in, man, I just get a shiver up my spine when those oh, yeah, when yeah. those drums come in. That's just fantastic. Uh, should also be noted here. I I can't picture Cozy Pal playing on this record as much no, as I no, like Cozy no. Pal. Uh, it had to be Vinny for this. I don't picture cozy. Yeah, I don't picture cozy being okay with a drum sound like this. I just don't think it would have worked with him. And this is a good example of this spot right here when the drums come in 
with the vocals here. It's it's just awesome. And the chorus in this is so kind of kind of mournful in the way that the, the the whole band comes in. It's just, it just reminds me, you know, of like Sign of the Southern Cross and Falling Off the Edge of the World, that kind of vibe where they start off real gentle. And it just gets heavier and heavier. And I love the lyrics in this. It's too late, too late for tears, too late. And no one hears you. Do you feel a touch of evil? Then it's too late. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's great. So for me, this is, this is the big epic on this record. If I say, okay, you got to pick one for your epic from this album. This would be it for me. Great lyrics. Love the way the song builds. So heavy, so crushing. I could picture this being on mob rules. It sort of occupies the same right. space as Sign of the Southern Cross for mm -hmm. me. It's got that dead vibe to it. So love it. I was going to say that I can hear this on mob rules with a with a you know Martin Birch. If if the production was more consistent with what Martin Birch does on mob rules, it it it, it would pretty well on that album um we just talked about jeff nichols here's another here's here's a song where when it when it kind of parts um before it goes into that big like climax when it kind of comes down and within the first minute and a half i think and then it just or maybe it's maybe it's longer than that but it kind of takes pause and then you hear some keyboard effects yeah and tony comes in with that really killer riff and just grinds it in there and dio's voice just soars like to the top of the mountain makes it so epic um i love this song it's my second favorite song um the song that follows i just edges it out a little bit but man i i love this song and um yeah the right volume man i, I always get chills when i listen to it one of those songs that when I listen to the record, I just you know I like to chill out and just and just listen to it, close my eyes and just just listen to the song. It's a great song. Yeah, epic. I think I think it made art when we did the video for the epics. I think it was pretty high on my list for for yeah epics, Black Sabbath epics. Yeah. Okay, next I. Uh, this is another one. Oh man, this is so heavy, so crushing. I yeah. love the feel of this it, it's it's got this sort of chugging it's not really fast it's not slow either it, but it just has a lot of intensity to it there's a lot of intensity to song and ronnie's vocal delivery and this is just oh man he is just yeah. spitting venom here and i love the way he repeats that line over and over you know i am anger under pressure i am wicked i am legion strength in numbers a lie the number is one. Oh man that's just great and there's a line in here i love the way he does the i am virgin no i'm a whore the way he says yeah. that is just absolutely great and of course my favorite line in it here is gosh where is it because i want to make sure after I face it. into with a smile that one yeah that that that's a great one too uh uh just uh okay i can't find it right here with the breaking buildings of glass what is that line uh oh here it is uh, it's 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 right at the beginning. Uh, yes, I'm a giant. I'm a monster breaking windows and houses, buildings of glass. <laughs> That's just so great that I just 
Oh, it's so powerful. I love this song. I was so glad that when they reunited as Heaven and Hell that they they put this in the set list. Yeah. It's, it's another deep cut, heavy, heavy song that's just, it, it's just pummeling. And it's sort of like the lyrics. I just picture Godzilla, you know, running over buildings. And it just has that kind of like momentum to it. You know, great, great song. Yeah, real heavy. The first time I heard it, it kind of took me back because we had gotten, I mean, it, it's a relatively long album. And I thought, well, okay, so, you know, Sins of the Father, Too Late, it's kind of winding down. Yeah. Uh, and then it, it just it starts out with that intro, you know, Tony's guitar, just kind of like, you know, a little bit bluesy, very light, light yeah. touch. And then you just boom, and it just slams, slams right into it. And it just, that churning riff that is just so heavy and it's like the first time i heard it it just i was like whoa wow <laughs> wow and then from that point on it was always like i can't wait you know it's like i love too late and then when when i comes in it's like oh man this is this is the perfect perfect song to follow uh the vibe of of too late and i think I think it's really the album, the song that the album should have ended on. Um, for me, anyway, I, 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 the way that it trails off at the end, Dio's yeah. voice, I, I think that would have been a perfect ending. And in the tradition of ending with an epic, this is an epic. It's shorter, it's heavy, so it's a different kind of epic. But it's epic in a sense where it's so heavy, it stands. I think the epic. Is one of those songs. I think one of the one of the things that qualifies in that because that it's it's the standalone. It's something that stands out from from the album. It, it's something yeah. that you know is like a focal point. This song is a focal point. It's a standout track in a different way than an epic that we could say too late would be, or maybe letters from Earth, or or I guess you could argue sins of the father too in the way that it kind of travels along and the different uh, musical movements that it has, but. I is is every bit as epic as as some of the other songs from from the perspective of it being a standout track that it's it's singular and has a really strong presence in, in the album and I think it's I think it's the the song that should have taken the album out. Um, yeah, and you're right about the intro. The intro is sort of uh, you you you're sort of tricked. It sounds like oh man, is this going to be like some sort of like yeah. bluesy you know slow bluesy number because it's it's a very much a stand kind of blues riff there at the beginning and then all of a sudden just that that riff comes in and it's that chugging monstrous running over tank like riff yeah it's like a snare drum like boom and then yeah yeah it's great Great okay so the album ends with uh buried alive I agree with you that I I would have flipped Buried Alive and and I or just maybe, but I love Buried Alive. This is another one that this main riff in this is like really really heavy. It, I, when I hear this riff, I always think of Alice in Chains. It has an Alice in Chains vibe to that main riff, and this is what really makes me think that they could have fit in with what was happening with Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and the sludgier side of grunge. Uh, it's kind of a short song. Uh, it goes by fairly quickly, 447. Uh, but 
I like it just because of the heaviness <laughs> of it. It's not as good as I. It's it's not as ca- quite as catchy uh, with the lyrics and everything, and it, with the melody. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It's still it's a, it's a it's a really heavy, crushing one. There's a there's a lot of lyrics to it. I think the chorus is is pretty catchy. As the big door closes and, and you're waiting for the nail, somebody tell the world you're buried alive. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the way he sings that too, it's just very. It's like he's like he's being. It's like he's being buried alive. He's being suffocated. The vocals are just so wrapped around that that uh, massive sort of sludgy sludgy riff. I think it's a song that would have benefited from different placement somewhere in the sequence. I think maybe I'm just, I was just just thinking about it. I think probably either. I mean, I'm not sure if it would have been the right song to open up side two with, or maybe I think like Time Machine's a good side two opener. Probably, I, I think the the best place for it now that i'm thinking about it would probably be after time machine and before sins of the father um it's a good song it's a little redundant in that it reminds me a lot of zero the hero kind of has that yeah that yeah. cycling riff thing it's not as heavy as zero the hero and that could be due to the production because the production is so so thick and bassy on uh, born again and this album doesn't have any of that. But if you were to put that production on Buried Alive, I think you'd have something that would sound very similar to Morning, uh, Zero the Hero. And that's um, it's good and, and bad in a way. I think a lot of these songs make unique statements and they stand apart from anything else other than the times we've mentioned, though, they're very similar to a traditional Black Sabbath, making a traditional Black Sabbath statement. But I think by and large a lot of these songs and, and a lot of it due to the lyrical lyrical direction that they take in these songs the, it's all pretty unique uh buried alive kind of pulls it into something that i don't appreciate sounding like something they previously previously done maybe born again is too close to this in terms of the amount of time that's 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 gone by um I appreciate uh, something similar to things that occurred in the 70s, finding their placement on this album. Um, something that sounds too similar to something they did in the 80s is probably, in air quotes, too soon. And that's where I have an issue with Zero the Hero and the Bor- Buried Alive. Yeah, it's something that should have been. It should have been a bonus track. It should have been like a Japanese bonus track. That would be cool. That's that what it cool. sounds like, or a single B singles B side. The album is long. The album is fifty two minutes, fifty two minutes seventeen yeah. seconds. Uh, so they could have easily have taken a song out, and it would have worked. You're right. It does. At this point, it feels a little redundant, especially after coming off the heaviness of I. This seems like it's kind of trying to do the same thing, but it's just not as catchy. Uh, still a okay. crushing riff. It it could have been placed somewhere better, or they could have just left it off. It would have been an awesome B side or Japanese bonus track. Yeah, mm-hmm. very yeah, good quality B side bonus track. Whatever. Um, it's anticlimactic to have it at the end of the album. It would have been much better with I. Um, and I, you know, I just mentioned that, but, you know, that's not, 
not a real strong complaint, just kind of a nitpicky thing. Like I think when we started out, I said, you know, it's pretty much for me, it's it's more or less a flawless album. But if I really want to get nitpicky about it, yeah, you know, there's a couple of things that I noticed over the course of time, and Buried Alive is one of them. But otherwise, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. it it's yeah. cool. Um, I do want to circle back around. I just want to mention something about you. You talked, you, you touched on the cozy pal thing, and you you made the remark that cozy would not sound right. He would this album would not be as good with cozy pal playing the drums, and and I I agree. Um, in fact, I'm so glad that he does, and I'm so glad that it's Vinny. And I love cozy. I, I think cozy in the right context with the right band these un unrivaled i mean he's he's great i love him at msg of course i love him in rainbow uh, i love him with jeff beck with black sabbath i never really thought that was i don't feel like there's a good chemistry between him and tony in fact i think that the chemistry is sort of a has an adverse effect i think that when those two guys were together and they were partners and they were supporting black sabbath i think it pulled tony down or at least it seemed to the, the the music that came as a fruit of the, the music that was a fruit of their partnership was kind of lackluster, um, and you know there's so many little Vinny Apice things that go on during the course of this album that I that I love. There's a lot of personality. There's a lot of character in the way that Vinny plays. It's not perfect, but it's it's him, and I love that. Sometimes he'll stop maybe a little short, you know, he'll do a fill and he's like, Oh, I'm running out of time. And it'll kind of end it quickly. I love those things that he does. Yeah. And I love his fills and, and he's always going for things. And, and I always get a feeling like he's in the moment. He's trying things. It may not work, but he's competent enough where even if it doesn't work, he'll save it. You know, he'll, it, it, yeah. it, he's not going to, there's not going to be a train wreck. Um, there wouldn't be any of that with, with, with cozy. And, I'm, and I would also be afraid that he would saturate it with whatever the effects were on, on headless. Cross yeah. I can't theory. picture that, that drum sound it. on this. Yeah. Ruin it. And, and Dio was aware of that, you know, Dio didn't have the best relationship with cozy. And, but, you know, Tony said, I want, I want cozy to be in the band before the accident where the horse fell on him, he broke his pelvis. But then after that, I think he got in a car accident. So it's like the, fate was like no you're not going to join this band yeah. threw a horse on him and then he got you know got through that and then he got in a, in a car accident was like no 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 uh but dio said cozy's a great drummer he's like i've worked with him he's a great drummer nothing against him as a drummer he's just not the right drummer for black sabbath he's like it would be like dio said it would be like me not being the right singer for yes <laughs> no he deal yeah. with not the right singer for yes and and likewise i never thought that cozy was the right fit for black sabbath so i'm really glad that i'm not i'm not, I'm not well of course cozy's no longer with us but i certainly don't relish in his misfortune during the uh the time that he was briefly in this lineup but um uh, yeah on the other hand i think it worked out, it worked out for the better indeed yeah. all right well there you go uh dehumanizer I, uh, it's an album that uh if you haven't listened to it in a while i think you should dig it out again i guess as uh, me and darren were both 
as we've talked about through this whole episode here, I think it's an album that that we both really like. I think there's a lot of great, great stuff on it. It's great record. Got, yep, gotten sort of lost in the uh, in the history bin a little bit when people are talking about the Sabbath catalog. It's not not the first album to be discussed. Eh, so yeah, it's if you haven't listened to it in a while, dig it out again. Hopefully, this podcast inspires you to give it another uh, quick listen. Uh, if you can't get enough of Darren and I talking Black Sabbath here through the podcast, you can go to uh, my YouTube channel, Layer the Alchemist. Darren and I do a, a thing we call Sabbath Sunday every now and then, where we touch on various Sabbath and Sabbath-related topics. If you would like to support the podcast, we appreciate all your support out there already listening to us. You can, If you would like to support us even more, you can do a few things. You can go and leave a review for us, hopefully a positive review on Apple Podcasts there. That'll move it up the algorithm a little bit. Uh, or you could go to Kofi.com, ko-fi.com slash into the void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'll leave that linked in the description. And you can make a donation there of any amount that that you would like. And uh, I would like to thank Matthew O for his very generous donation to the podcast. We really appreciate that. Uh, and we also have a Facebook page, uh, Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast, where we have uh, discussions on there and we post uh, things that are coming up and stuff like that. So we always enjoy having conversations with with everybody over there. So, Yeah. yeah in fact, uh, yeah, don't hesitate to if somebody wants to. I mean, I we, we have some followers on that Facebook page. If somebody wants to just come on and start a topic. I think that would be really cool. We can, you know, as an extension of the podcast, we can also have like some, uh, you know, discussion on the Facebook page. Uh, you know, it takes us like what we do. We try, we try to stick to once a month with, with the, the podcast. Uh, I think we went a little bit longer after the, the, uh, uh, the Ernie, uh, Stephalu, uh, episode. So, um, but in the meantime, yeah, I mean, let, let's, uh, stir up some interesting stimulating black sabbath discussion so if anybody has an idea for a topic and they're curious what john or i might think about it or, or something about you know the, the episode that we just did or maybe even from a previous episode throw it out there and we'll we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll, we'll interact with one another yep. um, darren darren and i never have a problem talking sabbath so we're always up for a good sabbath discussion <laughs> yep, for sure all right. Well, thanks again to everybody out there. Uh, you know, honestly, I'm not sure what the next episode is. I have to, I have to go through the make up, make up a timeline here. We've either got osmosis or strange highways. So I'm not exactly sure which one comes first. I guess it'll be a surprise to everybody out there, or you can look it up if you want. But uh, we will see here at the next podcast. And uh, remember, you can only trust yourself. The 19 Black Sabbath studio albums and into the void at Black Sabbath Podcast. Mm -hmm.